I like this place. Who was responsible for this? That's okay, Pastor. That is beautiful. That's good. I appreciate all of you being here tonight. And the Super Bowl, Super Bowl is really here tonight, the super service. And I appreciate you coming. Somebody sent me an email a while back, and uh, I think some of us can relate to this. I started out with nothing, and I still have most of it. <laughs> My wild oaks have turned into prunes and all brand. Uh, I finally got my head together. Now my body's falling apart. Here's another one. Funny, I don't remember being absent-minded. All reports are in life are especially unfair. Here's another one. It is not lost. If it's not lost, where is it? I wish the buck stopped here. I could use a few. If, uh, if it's hard to make a comeback when you haven't been anywhere. And then 13, the only time he would, uh, the world beats a path to your door is when you're in the bathroom. That's right in. Who's in there? Well, they know who's in there, you know. Um, if God wanted me to touch my toes, he would have put them on my knees. I think that's right. Not hard, uh, it's not hard to meet expenses. They're everywhere. The only difference between a rut and a grave is a depth. And then these days, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the hereafter. I go somewhere and get something, and then I wonder, what am I hereafter? We've all been there. At a nursing home in Florida, some senior citizens were sitting around talking about their ills, and one said, my arms are so weak I can hardly lift my coffee. Uh, yes, I know. My cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my coffee, replied another. Still another said, I couldn't even punch out the chads on election time. My hands were so weak. And then, I can't turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck, said a fourth. That's which several nodded in agreement. Then somebody said, my blood pressure pills make me dizzy. Oh, do you relate to some of these? Yeah, okay. And um, I then said, I, somebody else said, I guess that's the price we get for getting older. An old man spoke, uh, slowly shook his head, and there was a short moment of silence. And a woman, it's not that bad, said one woman cheerfully. Thank God we all still drive. <laughs> so anyway, okay, turn in your Bible, if you will. It's been a joy to be here and be with the pastor, and I appreciate your pastor and his wife and family, and I appreciate all of you, and just like being home, and Mary and I really... I appreciate all of you, and thank God for you, and uh, it's good to be back, really good. But turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, give you a minute to find it, Mark, the fifth chapter, we'll stay right here, uh, the, uh, serv- doing the service um, for the sermon, Mark chapter 5, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately they met him, uh, a man out of a tomb. Uh, um, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound him with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder uh, by him. 
and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of, God, of the Most High God? I adjure thee that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, that's thousands, thousands. For we are many, the demons were answering him. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And when they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him. Uh, okay, give me, turn my page. Him who was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of that coast. Jesus was a missionary. A missionary, according to Webster, is a man sent on a mission. Many times <clears throat> he was go <clears throat> to those of another country, another culture, and dwell among them. Jesus was a missionary from heaven. His cause was to give hope to the hopeless and life to the dead and comfort to the suffering, joy to the sad and healing to the brokenhearted and eternal life to those who are destined for eternal death. We used to sing the chorus, He heals the brokenhearted, He sets the captive, captive free, He made the lame to walk again, and He calls the blind to see. Jesus was a missionary. He was a child evangelism missionary when he gathered the children around him and he blessed them. He was a missionary to the sick when he visited Peter's wife's mother. And uh, he was a missionary to the bereaved at the tomb of Lazarus. He was a missionary to the poor when he saved a beggar. And he was a missionary to the rich when he witnessed to the rich young ruler. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a missionary in the truest sense of the word. He's our supreme example. And from his missionary work, we learn some things. We learn to evangelize children when they are young. Most people say before they are 14 years old. I was about 13 and a half, 14 when I was saved. And uh, to evangelize children, don't leave the children out. Go after children. And we learn from him that no class is to be neglected, not the young, uh, not the old, uh, not the rich, not the poor, everybody. Go after people. 
and uh, no classes to be neglected. And we learn also to have special ministries with the afflicted, the blind, and the deaf, and the lame. And we learn from Jesus that nothing is to be considered impossible. Nothing. And no heart is too hard to be reached. This brings us to our text, one of the greatest conversions in the Bible. This man was completely dominated by evil spirits that he allowed to possess him. Most people in their heart of hearts don't want to believe in demons. They want to believe in angels, little angels, you know, with uh, fly, flying around and all of that, but they don't want to believe in demons. He was demon-possessed. There are probably thousands and thousands of people in our country who were demon-possessed. You have the Beltway Snyder that would just shoot people at random a few years ago. You have the two young boys who went into Columbine High School and killed people. I think there were 15 that were killed. And, and the young man at Virginia, Peck, uh, Virginia Tech who locked the doors and went in and uh, slaughtered people. People who do such things like that are demon-possessed. They're demon-possessed. Uh, people controlled by Satan and devils. Now let's consider these same before us. Let's consider the country. What the country are the gatherings in verse 1? What kind of a country was a country of the gatherings? It was a secular-minded country. These Jews loved their uh, pigs and their hogs more than their religion. They hired Gentiles to take care of them so they wouldn't have to touch them, but they were theirs. And the pig business was illegal to the Jews, but these Jews loved their uh, love money more than they love their religion. For the love, people love money, uh, and more than men. In verse 16 and 17, uh, we read of the man who was, uh, when he was healed and when he was made sane, and, uh, but the, they loved their hogs. They were concerned about the loss of their ho of hogs. And for the love of money, people will kill people, doctors will kill babies, and drug pushers will destroy lives, all for the love of money. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, uh, 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And do you remember when America was not so secular? Do you remember when, America, when the stores were closed on Sunday? And uh, when uh, Sunday was considered a holy day? And when statesmen ran our country rather than uh, politicians. Politicians are running our country today. Uh, Russia fell economically, and America could do that. If money is America's God, then God can take it away. And in our national election, people will vote their, their pocketbook before they will vote their morals. Do you remember when a day when young people would ask, what can I do with my life? What can I do that will make a difference in the lives of others? And uh, in my, with my life, what will make me the most money? One of the two. And not, not only was the country of the Gadarenes a secular country, it was a favored country. God's son had passed his way. He had come through their country, but they didn't care. 
America is like that. God has been here. You can't travel very far in America. You can't go to Washington, D.C. without seeing, ain't God we trust in the, in the House of Representatives and seeing it on the buildings and we have it on the money, uh, on our government buildings. Uh, we follow the steps of the pilgrims all the way from Plymouth, Plymouth, England to Plymouth, Massachusetts and uh, thought about uh, how they came and they said in the Mayflower Compact they wanted to make a country where God would be honored and uh, they were the Mayflower. What a favored country that is. Those pilgrims within three months, probably two, half of them were dead. They had died of disease. They, they made it on the Mayflower. Half of them were dead. Almost it didn't, uh, didn't, they didn't uh, survive, but they did. And um, the muddy graves, very, I mean, the dreams of, of a, a country where God could be honored were buried off the coast of New England in muddy graves, but they were the seeds of a great harvest. What a favored country America is. Everywhere we go, we can see the footprints of God. You can't live in America without noticing that God has been this way throughout our history. But Gadara was not only that, it was a fearful country because a wild man roamed through it. A man full of demons roamed through it. The Matthew describes him as exceeding fierce. And we read in Matthew 8, 28, no man passed that way. Our people detoured the graveyard. They went around some other way. No man passed that way. He dwelt in the tombs. And uh, those same tombs exist today. He lived in them. Uh, the country was terrified. When women did their errands, they were terrified lest this man come upon them. When men would plow the fields, they were, they were terrified lest the man in the cemetery come in his rage and his fury upon them. The country of Gadara was a fearful country. And it was a beautiful place. Uh, little children didn't have any picnics in those days because of the wild man that lived in the cemetery. The country of Gadara was a fearful country. When neighbors visited friends, they would talk about various things, but it would always get back. Have you seen him lately? So-and-so saw him. He was in such-and-such such a place. It would always come back to the wild man. He was a chief topic of their uh, this conversation. The road to the sea was, was beautiful, but no one went sightseeing in those days because of the wild man uh, of Gadara. And again, the farmers were afraid of him, and the, the no, little children were afraid of him. The blacksmiths made chains. Look at verse 5. They made chains, and the rope makers made ropes, but they were all in pain. They were useless. And verse 5, always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Many times in Gadara, after a hard day's work, people would close their eyes and they would try to sleep. But sleep fled away from them. As out in the distant darkness, they could hear the, dis the cries, the devil cries of a disordered brain out in the darkness. This unhappy, suffering, wild man was under the complete control, body and soul, of Satan and sin. Verse 5 says he was cutting himself. That's not reasonable to cut yourself. But people in our country cut themselves. 
toward them. They're, they're just, uh, it's unreasonable toward themselves. They cut themselves with the liquor bottle and the cocktail lounge and the association and uh, a wine cup and they stab themselves with uh, atheistic pens and the philosophy of atheists and uh, they poison their minds with drugs and pornography and no doubt sometimes people held clothes up. They, uh, maybe they put them on a bush and they hope that this man would somehow see the clothes, would go over to the bush and put them on and, but he never did. And he returned to sanity, but he never did. What a sight he must have been, bleeding and naked and howling. But let me mention the contact, the contact with Jesus. They met him, a man. There's some people it's not good to meet. Have you ever met anybody like that? You ever met anybody that you were kind of glad, glad you kind of wish you had not met them? Some people... It's not good to me. It was not good for Lot to meet the people of Sodom. It was not good for Samson to meet Delilah. We had a man in our church named, we call him Beeb, was his first name. And a man came through town and they made the acquaintance and they joined the partnership. Um, and uh, they, they were going in the oil business and they struck oil and Beeb would bring in uh, great, wonderful time checks uh, every week. And so Beeb uh, built a, a big house on the edge of town and uh, then the time check stopped. And he came and he said, um, Brother Ray, he said, that man swindled me out of everything. Uh, the man he met, it was a 50-50 partnership, but Beeb's uh, had to pay all the expenses, and so it didn't work for him. It was not good for Beeb to meet that man. But it was glorious when this man met Jesus. It was darkness meeting light. It was pollution meeting purity. It was devilment meeting divinity. It was Satan's soot meeting God's snow. It was foulness meeting fragrance. It were the tombs of earth meeting the thrones of God, of heaven. Note the wrong conception that this man had of Jesus. In verse 7, look at it if you will. In verse 7, he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of God, most high God? I adjure thee by my God. I adjure thee by God that I torment me not. The wrong conception that he had of Jesus. Don't torment me. A lot of people like that. They, that's the attitude of a natural man, mind toward Jesus Christ. They think of Christianity as a <clears throat> killjoy. Uh, if, if I had to receive Christ, it's the worst thing that you can do. They think, you know, to be a Christian, you've got to wear big shoes and funny ties and, and uh, <clears throat> do them. Have all of that, uh, but you, don't, you may do that, but you don't have to do that to be a Christian. Have a long face. But Paul said, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. But some people <clears throat> have the idea that to take Jesus Christ as your Savior is like signing your death warrant. It's all over if I take him as my Savior. We know that's spiritual ignorance. We've trusted Christ. He's with us all the time. He's a bright and morning star, and we know that uh, that's not true. But some people don't believe that. They believe that, that it's, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, it, don't torment me by Jesus Christ. That's ignorance. 
two farmers, when the railway first came through Kentucky, and uh, two farmers <clears throat> decided they wanted to ride the train. And so they, they got a ticket and they packed themselves a lunch and they got on the train and they were going through the countryside and enjoying the um, beautiful scenery passing by. And then one took his lunch out, opened it up and took a banana out of his bag and took a bite of it. And about that time, the train shot into a pitch black tunnel. And he said, John, have you eaten your banana yet? He said, no, why? He said, don't eat it. I took a bite of mine. Made me blind as a bat. But, but that's ignorance. I want to ask you, but what is a man profited if he gained the world and lose his own soul? Oh, if he knows all about the Rose of Sharon, I don't know about the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley if he knows about flowers. What is a man profited if he knows astronomy, but he doesn't know the bright and morning star? What if he knows the ages of rocks, but he doesn't know the rock of ages. The command come out of him, come out of him. In verse 8 through 13, look at it if you will, please. In the verse 8, for he said unto him, come out of the man, the unclean spirit. And he asked him, what's thy name? And he answered, say, my name is Legion, for we are, are many. The command come out of him. A Roman legion was 6,826. Is it possible that there were 6,800 demons in this man? I don't know. They said, our name is Legion. Uh, they probably was. And he was completely insane by those demons. And um, in verse 13, the Bible talks about uh, the demons. He called, made the demons come out. And they said, don't send us into the deep. Send us into those pigs over there. And Jesus gave him leave to send them into the pigs. 2,000 of them. And they went into the pigs, and the pigs stampeded over the cliffs into the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says they were, they were choked in the sea. 2,000 pigs. That must have been a sight. They, I've done studies on this. I have looked up in the dictionary, encyclopedia. I've done studies. And as far as I can tell, this is the first instance in history of deviled ham. But they went into, they went into the sea. And, and some of you get it in a few minutes. And they were, they were killed. They were floating around in the sea. Then we have the chatter in verse 14. They told it. Mark said they told it in the city and they told it in the country. Matthew says they told everything. Nothing goes so fast as a rumor, the rumor house blew up and rumors were flying. And nothing goes so fast as a rumor. And the tongues were wagging. Lips were moving. moving. Folks had lost their hogs. And Jesus was the cause of it all. No thought for the poor man who had been raging and who was now sane and who was now, had been naked and now he was dressed. That's the way gossip and criticism is. When Caesar was on his way to the Senate chamber. Someone slipped him a note, and on the note was written, There is but one mind in all these men, and it is bent against you. If thou beest immortal, look about you. Later, his body was found with 
dagger wounds, 23 dagger wounds in his, in his, in his body. And there was but one mind in Gadara and was bent against Jesus Christ. The chatter, the tongues were moving. James 3 and verse 10 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. There we bless we God, even the Father, and there we curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. How many of our problems come from here? Something we've said. We, you ever said anything, and as soon as it went out, you wanted to grab those words and put them back in? Too late. Too late. You can't do that. And uh, the tongues were wagging. The tongues. A man died. And the preacher said to, the, to his little son, What were your father's last words? And the little boy answered, Pa didn't have no last words. Mom was with him right to the end. So I read some day, uh, maybe a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, I read that men speak 7,000 words a day. That's a lot. But that women speak 14,000 words a day. Um, but one woman answered that, and she said, I'll tell you why we speak 14,000 words a day. She said, we have to repeat everything. <laughs> My wife would probably say amen to that. No wonder James said, if, a, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, that man's religion is vain. But then note the change in verse 15. Look, look at the words. Underline them if you underline in your Bible. Sitting and clothed right mind. What a change it was. Body, soul, and spirit. Sitting, not running wildly uh, through the countryside. Cured. Clothed. No longer naked. But he has clothes on now. Calm. Not crazy. What a change it was. And you know it was a change they could see. There are a lot of professions of faith that aren't real. Now, you can't see the heart, but you, you can only see what's on the outside. And if it's a, chances are, if it's something changed on the inside, it's going to show up on the outside. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect on the outside, but there'll be a difference, and it will be something people can see. The clenched fist was now an open palm, and the eyes of fury were now eyes of faith. And the fettered man was now a free man. Someone wrote about that in a song many years ago. From home and friends, the evil spirit drove him. Among the tombs he dwelt in misery. He cut himself as demon power possessed him. Then Jesus came and set the captive free. Change, change. Jesus can change people. You know, there's changes in the world today. Most of them are not good. Uh, but um, there's a change that chemistry can make in things. There's a change that water in the desert uh, can make. And there are changes in nature, in education, in travel, in communication. And, but listen to me. There is no change like the change that Jesus can make in your life and make in a life. When he comes, no change at all. I heard, um, <clears throat> I mean, no, no change like that. 
Dr. Harold Seitler was preaching, and I heard him uh, say this. He said, uh, one in my church in Greenville, South Carolina, there was a woman who came forward one Sunday night, and she was saved. And he said, the next Sunday night, she was singing in the choir. And uh, another woman came to him the next Sunday night and said, Dr. Seitler, you know that woman who came forward last Sunday night, she, and, and she's singing in the choir. He said, yes, yes. He, she said, that's the worst harlot in Greenville, South Carolina. And then Dr. Seidler said, the worst harlot in Greenville, South Carolina is still singing in the choir. Many, many years later. Uh, and uh, what a wonderful change had come into her life. It, you know, it's a lot of sad things in this story. It was sad when he was cutting himself. It was sad uh, when he was running wildly. It was changed, uh, sad when he was running naked and no clothes on and a uh, lot of things, living in the tombs, all of that. But the saddest verse in this chapter is in verse 18. Look at it, if you will. Uh, verse 18, and the Bible says, And when he was come into the ship, they that had been possessed, he that had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. When he came to the ship, I mean, the complaint, they besought him. The Bible says they besought him, verse 17, they besought him to leave. They asked him to depart, Christ, to depart out of their coast. And the, those are the saddest words in the chapter. So what did he do? He went back to the ship. And he departed. You better be careful how you ask God to depart. God, don't speak to my heart again. Don't talk to me. Don't move in my heart. He may leave, and he may never come back. And Job had some friends like that. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Be careful how you invite him away. He may leave, and he may never come back. And he left. And as far as I can tell, he never went back. He never went back to Gadara. They never again saw the footprints of God on their shore. He left. They asked him to leave, and he did. And their people, they, they're more or less saying, Go on, Christ. We don't want you tending to our business. We don't want you putting restrictions on us. And uh, we don't want you around. They prefer their sins to the grunt of swine, uh, to the goodness of God. We prefer our silver and our stocks and our bonds, our money. Nothing wrong with those things, but we prefer them to you. Now, Christ has landed on your coast. He has. He's right here tonight on your coast. Go forth to meet him. Run to meet him. Lord, meet my needs. He knows all about you. He knows every problem you have. He knows every difficulty you face. The wild man did. He ran to Jesus. And what did he get? He got peace. He got closeness with God. He got a saved family, a saved life. He got a call in verse 19. Jesus can lift your troubled life. He can cure your fears and your doubts. He can give you assurance that things will be all right. He knows everything about us. 
He knows all about our troubles, all about the things that concern us. Take them. He's landed on your coast. I was saved when a neighbor farmer said, came by, said, Jim, go to Sunday school with me. I said, no, I can't go. I was about eight years old then. And uh, I walked about a, two miles to the little Methodist church a couple of times before that. But I said, I can't go. And yeah, you can. I want you to go. I'm coming by. Came by. I didn't go. He came by the next Sunday, next week and said, won't you go to Sunday school with me? And I went that Sunday. And next week, I peeped through the blinds to the left and uh, came back the next week. He kept on until I, he got me going to the church and going to the church where I was saved in. And um, I, Mr. Shoemaker, I never thanked him. And I, I thought about in Australia. And I wrote him a letter from Australia many years later. I said, all the souls I win and the churches I start will all come back to you. Uh, who cared about a little boy on the, on the farm? A little boy, ragged boy, uh, next door. Thank you, Mr. And I, I went by his house when I came home. He died. My mother said he got the letter and he cried. And he was so glad to get the letter. Yeah, I heard from Brother Jimmy. And uh, I went by his house. It, it had been long vacated. The family was standing and weeds were growing up around it. And I just parted. And I said, thank you for God for sending Mr. Shoemaker over to my house. I wouldn't be saved if it were not for him. Many people are like that. We had a man in England. We had 28 saved in our church in England, first year. And uh, first baptism, I mean, first, first uh, after about eight months, I said, now we're going to start a new church. I had, Mary was going to join it, and I was going to join it, and we had a young couple that were going to join, and, um, and then uh, Joy and Jim, our, our children, were going to join it. We thought that was it. There were 28 people. They've been hearing the gospel every Sunday, every service, but nobody had moved, and they came forward, 28. And um, I talked to them, and uh, I went by and saw them on Monday, and I said, uh, now the only thing wrong is that you have to be saved before you, you come. I mean, before you, before you join the church. And every one of them said, that's what we want to do. And they received Christ. And one lady said, he'll never, my, my son-in-law is an atheist, George. He will never, you'll never be able to win him. I went to George's home that night and won him to Christ. And he became one of our trustees in the church. And... Um, he, uh, he said, I used to fight against him, but now I would fight for him. Oh, what, what a change when Jesus lands on your coast and makes a difference in your life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Run to Jesus. Let him meet every need you have. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would have your way, and we pray that you would touch lives and hearts. And we pray, Father, that, that all of us will recognize your footprints on the shore of our lives. For Jesus' sake, we pray. If there's anybody here tonight not saved, help them to be saved. Lord, I pray that every Christian that's here will feel the presence of God, feel your presence in this room, and they will yield themselves to you right now, again, anew. In Jesus' name we pray. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand. Everyone's standing, and the pianist will play something, no matter what she's going to play, whatever it is.
And as she plays softly with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there something that God wants you to do? Are you standing there and God says, I want you to draw close to me. I want you to be, be, let me be more real to you than I've ever been before in my life. And as she prays softly, you come if God directs. Or you sit right where you're standing, commit yourself to Christ as we wait. And now, with his bowed and eyes closed, how many of you will say, I know that Christ has landed on my coast. He's my Savior. I've taken him as my God. Lift your hand up high. Lift it up high. Heads bowed, eyes closed. He's come into my heart and into my life. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Ray, for uh, that message tonight. Just before we close out our service tonight, I'm going to ask Brother Larry uh, to come. He's got uh, a couple things he wants to say, and um, and then uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have a, a special altar call tonight. Um, uh, Brother Larry's kind of challenged me with this, and um, and I think it's just so important. There's so many people going through so much right now, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of baggage being carried, and um, uh, what can we do? We can go to the Lord in prayer, and um, we need to pray individually. I do. I know you do as well, but how important is it to pray corporately as well as a church, um, as a church we are commanded to do? So, Brother Larry, if you'll come. Y'all can have a seat. You know, last week, I used the term war. Got people in war. Brother Ray sets up in the Sunday school this morning. 